going through uh, a, a series called Everyday Discipleship, and um, we've been talking over the last couple weeks prior to Easter um, just about what it means to be a disciple, and we, we started talking about some few um, uh, disciplines that are involved in discipleship. And two weeks ago, we talked about grief, and, and now we're turning to kind of the classic, traditional spiritual discipline, and it's prayer. You know, it's one you've probably heard of. You might have heard of prayer. Um, I've made the case over the course of this uh, series that dis- disciplines are an essential part of discipleship. They're essential to becoming who we're called to be as Christians, which is Christ-like people, people who are being conformed to and transformed into the image of Jesus who we follow. That's the goal. That's what disciples are called to. And the idea, I think, is pretty easy for most of us to accept. I mean, it sounds logical. Um, It's sort of undeniably obvious. Um, But one thing, one connection that I've been trying to make is that if we want to be disciples, then we need to have disciplines. Disciples have disciplines. Like, it's in the Word. It's actually in the Word. Being a disciple is about people practicing disciplines. However, I think it's worth acknowledging and just saying uh, up front how countercultural that idea is. Like, we don't have a culture that loves the idea of disciplines. We think we can be whoever we want to be. I want to be a a disciple, therefore I am a disciple, whether I have disciplines or not. Um, We are primed to assume not only that we can be anything, but also, like, we acknowledge that there are rules and that, sure, yeah, disciples have to have disciplines, but we also love to be the exception to the rule, right? Who wouldn't love to be the disciple who doesn't have to do the discipline? We all of us love that. We love to be the exceptions. But disciples have disciplines. Growing disciples, right? People who are actually like being a disciple and loving it, right? That's what I'm talking about. Being a disciple and loving it. They're disciples who have disciplines. And if you're going to be an everyday disciple, somebody who's really like like loving this, this relationship that you have with Jesus and this calling you have to follow after him, you're going to have disciplines in your life, ways of practicing that. And prayer is an absolutely indispensable discipline. It's one of those ones you can't do without. There are lots of disciplines out there. You don't actually need to do them all because we're going to go through several of them. And maybe you're going to be like, eh, that one really doesn't, doesn't stick with me. That's okay. God's made us all a little bit different. But prayer is the one thing everybody has to do. It's something that we, it's just so essential to who we are and how we become who we're called to be as followers of Jesus. Karl Barth, uh, the theologian I don't quote very often, but Karl Barth says, uh, to fold one's hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of life. I like that. Amen. Yeah. To fold one's hands in prayer, to simply take up the work, the discipline of prayer, is to, to, to lead an uprising against the disorder. Disorder of what? Of life. Of my life. Because that's where most of my disorder is. I don't know about you, but most of my disorder is my disorder. All the spiritual disciplines are powerful because as we practice them, and especially as we practice prayer, we're doing the work of ordering our disordered lives. And that's part of being a disciple. That's, I think, part of the essential part of becoming who we're called to be. See, sin has impacted us. It's impacted the world, but it's impacted us because it's brought disorder and disarray into your life. It confuses you about who you are, and you start to believe these wrong things about what your life is like and what it should be. But we're called to order our inner lives by the power of the Spirit and according to what Jesus teaches. 
And Jesus points out that disorder. One particular time he was rebuking the Pharisees. I mean, the Pharisees were like, Jesus was always going after them, right? Because they, they pretended to have a lot of order in their lives. They pretended to be right with God, but Jesus looked at them and said, oh man, you guys, you guys really think you're right, but you're so messed up. One time he's going after the Pharisees and he says this, he says, woe to you, you scribes and you Pharisees, hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup so that the outside of it may also become clean. Jesus looks at the lives of the Pharisees, these people who say, oh, we've got it together, and he says, you've got a lot of disorder, disorder that you don't even know about. He calls them out. He, he basically says, look, you guys are all about doing. You guys have all these, these rules that you follow and things that you practice, right? And you think that by doing these things, you're going to be cleaning, clean according to, to, to the Lord, like you're going to be acceptable to God. He says, but you're just neglecting your inner life. You're neglecting something. You're disordered. And when people from our culture hear this, right, modern American people, what we think is that Jesus is saying, and it's sort of what he's saying, what we think he's saying is that what matters is actually what's on the inside, right? Clean the inside and the outside will be clean. So what, what matters is on the inside. If the Pharisees would just be, uh, just, just be, wanted to be good people, like, then they should just be their true selves and then they would be okay. But is that what Jesus is saying? Is that what Jesus is saying? Well, what does he say? He says, first clean the inside of the cup so that the outside may also become clean. That's a different idea than just saying all that matters is what's on the inside, so just turn inward. And I just point this out because, um, because I think what we see here is, is the way that we read this is disorderly and the way that the Pharisees were practicing their, their falling after God was also disorderly. We actually have two errors, not just one. See, our ideas about being a person have changed a lot in the past hundred years. Like the modern conception of what it is to be a person is much different than it was at any point in history up until very recently. And we start to think about Pharisees, you know, people living 2,000 years ago, or we think about people living 200 years ago, and we would describe them as repressed, right? That's a very common word that we would use about olden people. Um, because we would say that they have their, an idea of who they are and that it is a culturally fixed, culturally dictated idea. We would say that those people, old people, people like the Pharisees, uh, didn't really have the resources that they needed to self-actualize, to become the person they were truly called to be, or whatever you know, language we use around that. That concept is very common. Because we have, in our culture, a very critical understanding of people like the Pharisees. Because we believe that their understanding of themselves is exclusively about their orientation to the world at the expense of their inner self, their true self. You know what I'm saying? Like we have an idea that what true health is, is to have a good relationship with your inner life, your true self, to find your true self. And for modern people, we assume that we fix this problem by getting in touch with our true self. And then ignoring the demands of society, ignoring the outer world, and just being my own self, actualizing my own self in the world. 
And that, according to our culture, is how we avoid the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and live a meaningful, rightly ordered life. But that idea is a lot different than what Jesus is claiming that we need to do in order to fix hypocrisy and have an ordered life, a rightly ordered life. What Jesus advises the Pharisees is that if they're going to have a good life, they need to clean both the inside and then the outside will be dealt with. We have a problem, I think, in our culture, and it's not the same problem that the Pharisees had, though it's similar. They had a kind of disorder where they could just put on a good show, but they didn't really love the Lord. But it's not the kind of disorder that's common in in the modern world. See, we are people who are on a quest to find our true selves. But the problem is, if you've gone down that road for long, you've gone down what uh, my favorite Pastor John Tyson calls project self long enough, you find that the road doesn't go anywhere. It's hard to find your true self. Or when we actually do figure out who we really are, we actually find we don't actually like ourselves very much. You ever had that? I, 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 that was me. I was like, shoot, I am, I'm being absolutely who I am, and this is, I'm just not that great. I found that out at one point. Uh, we all have a problem, and it might not be the problem of this Pharisees, like a kind of disorder where we put on a, a good show, but we, we have a problem. And prayer is the means to straighten out that disorder. And I, I, I broke that word up. We think about disorder as like a medical condition, like I have a disorder, right? But what is disorder? It is dis. Anti, non, you know, it's a negation. Order, a lack of order. Prayer is the means that we put our inner life in order. It's how we straighten out our disordered life. It's that simple. If you want to be clean on the inside, you get clean by practicing prayer. Put your life in order. Like, I might say, like, well, isn't that all of us? Well, think of it this way. Like, when I do the dishes, as you know, I do from time to time. Lord of the Sink, if you'll remember. Uh, I have two things. I have soap. Well, I have dirty dishes, right? I guess I have three things. I have disorder all around me, chaos all around me at the end of dinner. And then in order to deal with that chaos, I have soap. But soap alone, as I have learned, is not enough. If I just fill up the sink and pour soap in there, the dishes don't clean themselves. I also need a sponge. I need to vigorously work out the dirt and the grime and the oil and all the grease and stuff in order to clean the dish. Jesus is the soap, man. He's the means by which we're clean. He forgives us. He takes away sin. But we've got a work to do. We've got a discipline to do. We've got to take up the sponge of prayer. Sponge of prayer, a terrible image, and just scrub at it. And as we scrub and as we work it out, we start to figure out this disordered life that we have. We start to understand who we really are. We get to be cleansed, not like we're doing the work of forgiving ourselves. Jesus has forgiven us. So what does that mean? That's what I do in prayer. I start to figure out what does that mean for my life? How does that transform my view of who I am and how I go through life and what I do and what I think is important? Prayer is going to change that. And as we just get down there with our sponge and we do the discipline of praying, we're getting clean, we're having this inner transformation. Prayer is a discipline. And as we've discussed what Dallas Willard says about discipline, and Dallas Willard says that we know it's right, Uh, that's just my opinion. He says, disciplines are activities within our power that enable us to accomplish what we cannot do by direct effort. 
I can't make my inner life clean. Jesus enables it, he forgives, and then he gives me the resources, the power, prayer, the sponge that I can take up in order to just like bring my life, my inner life in accordance to the calling that he has to live by faith. But some inner work needs to be done. I cannot, by direct effort, fix my inner self, find my true self. I can't even be right with God, cease my hypocrisy, but I can pray. And as I pray, I nurture my inner life with God and I get my relationship with God and my relationship with myself in right order. I work out the disorder through prayer. Okay, so I think we get that. Uh, But then the question is, and I think it's the most relevant question, why is prayer so hard and why do I do it so little? <laughs> if it sounds so great and sounds like such a fun thing, why do I struggle with prayer? And I, and I say I, not just to empathize with all you little people, but I say I because I struggle with prayer probably just as much as you do. Why do I struggle with prayer? Why do I struggle with making time for it, enjoying it when I make time for it? Why, do, why is it a struggle? Okay, we're going to think about a, a little image. I think I have a picture for it, right? Oh, oh. No, I just put that in there just to put a puppy up. No, yeah, no, I didn't really. <coughs> Excuse me. Say you're uh, shopping, you're down in Issaquah, you're doing some errands, you're about to walk into a store and someone comes up to you and says, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Can I just stop you for a second? And they say, look, I, um, I just can you just watch this puppy just for a minute? And and since you're a normal human being, you say, of course, of course, I will cuddle that puppy for you. I don't care. I'm not going to ask any further questions. Just give me the puppy. That's what you'll say. You'll you'll take the puppy in your hands and this person will just walk away and you'll just say, oh, you good little boy. You're such a good puppy. You're such a good puppy. But then after a little while, sadly, you'll start to think, where's this dog's owner? Because like, everybody loves puppies, and everybody's going to just grab that puppy and just like, just like cuddle it for a little while. But eventually, you're going to start to say, um, oh, what, what, am I, what am I doing with this puppy? What am I supposed to do with this thing? Because it's awesome to have this relationship with this cute dog for a while and take care of him, nurture him for a bit. But you've got things to do. You've got a life to live. You've got to get moving. You've got errands to run. That's why you came to Issaquah in the first place. And I think for many of us, prayer is just like that. Uh, of course, like, it's good to pray. Everybody knows it. We all, everybody knows prayer is good. It's great. But we've got things to do. We've got things to do in our lives. And we can't just spend all our time cuddling puppies. Sadly, people have tried. Nor can we spend all our days in prayer. Can we? Have people tried that? Like, so how do we get over this, right? Because there's a, there's a mental block. Well, there's some practical things, and, and this is going to be like a two-parter on prayer. We're going to get really practical. How do you build a prayer life next week? Um, but I think just generally, I think our biggest problem is, is a mindset one. It's, it's, it's how we think. It's a mindset one. Look, If the same person with the puppy came up to you outside of that store and said, here, this puppy is yours, assuming you're in the market for a puppy, which most most people aren't, but then when a puppy gets handed to you, things change, right? Um, If they they come up to you and and they give you a puppy, you would say, okay, great. And then what would you do? 
you'd bring the puppy to your house, and then you'd do some things. You'd actually organize your life a little bit around the presence of that puppy. Because that's what you do with something that's alive. When you take something that's living into your home, you just kind of have to take care of it a little bit. And I think most of us are having trouble with our prayer lives because we haven't embraced the puppy of prayer. The puppy of prayer. Uh, Prayer isn't a discipline that is on loan to you. Your relationship with God isn't something that somebody handed you and said, I'll be right back for it. Can you just hang out? Prayer is something that's been given to you. A relationship with God has been given to you. It's a lifelong thing. It's alive. Take care of it. God isn't just going to come back in a couple minutes so you can just like, just, I'll just, I'm just going to put a temporary pause on things so that I can pray, pray and then God's going to take us and then I don't want to worry about it anymore. It's in your home now. Your life with God, you're like a disciple of Jesus, like you're following after him. It's a whole life sort of thing. You got to organize your life around taking care of this puppy and I think many of us are having trouble with prayer because we haven't embraced that. Like, 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 why would we do that? Why would we do that? Why would we make room for it? Like, I, I watched my mother's dog for like 10 days or something like that. A long time. Um, <clears throat> very nice dog. Very nice dog. Um, and my neighbor saw it. It was like walking down. You know, I live in an apartment complex. And my neighbor walked by. And she's like, oh, did you guys get a new dog? And I said, no. We did not, because <laughs> I have four living children, and that is enough. That is enough. I do not need a puppy in my life right now. Um, I mean, sure, the idea of welcoming a, a puppy into our family like, like was, was like a lot for me, that idea, because um, I have an understanding of what my life is and what my life can take, and a puppy, it's the, the, that'd be the straw that breaks the camel's back, right? <laughs> like, I know this. I know this in my soul. Um, I have an idea of the room that, like, the capacity that I have, the bandwidth that I have for things going on in my life. And a puppy, there's no room for it in my life. And so, no, and so don't give me a dog. Don't give me a dog. Don't ever give my children a dog. Don't do it. I'm just asking you. But then the question that we had to ask ourselves is, like, like, there's not room in my life for that puppy, like, but is there room in your life for prayer, like... Is there room in your life for something that's alive that requires a little bit of discipline? A little bit of discipline just to take care of. Is there room? And well, the question is, is there room? It just depends. It depends on what you think your life is for. I really think that's it. It depends on what you think your life is about and what you think succeeding at life is. Like, like what's your life for? What's your purpose? Prayer will come at least more naturally when we understand what our life is and what our purpose is. I really think that's true. It's just all about mindset. It's all about understanding, like, what, is, what am I here for? Like, like what's my purpose? Like, like, you know, the truth is that I don't think my purpose is to nurture puppies, and that's okay. Uh, so I don't, I don't need to take that on in my life. But then we have to ask the question, what is our purpose? Okay, so let's, let's think about that. What is, what is, why are you here? Why do you exist? Let's think about that from, from a biblical perspective, Okay. And we'll do some biblical theology, right? Biblical theology is when we just kind of, kind of look at some raw data from Scripture, try to track a theme. Like, so let's, let's track the theme of purpose throughout Scripture. And let's go back to creation, right? Good place to start. What did God create people for? Um, well, we have a good uh, sense of that in Genesis 1, uh, 27, 28. God says this. God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. 
He created the male and female, and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, rule the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and every creature that crawls on earth. What does God do? In the beginning, when he creates people, he creates them in his own image. He creates them as image bearers, right? People who are in some way like him in the world. And then he blesses them. Wow. Like, think about that. What is it like for God to just like bless you? How awesome is that? He blesses them and then he puts them on a mission. He says, go out into the world, be fruitful, multiply, subdue and rule. Now that's sort of weird. Like that's sort of a weird thing because isn't that what God does? Doesn't God rule? Like that's his job. And he creates image bearers, people who are like them, sends them out in the world and says, the things that I do, the way that I am, you go and do the same. You rule, subdue, bless the world, bless creation. Be people who are going out into the world doing the things that God does. The idea is that we are people made in his image, made to be like him, made to be image bearers, God's image, represent, representatives in the world, like little outposts of his presence, because we're being filled with him, and we're being called according to the same purpose, and we are created by him in his image. That was God's original plan for man, to go and to be representatives of him in the world. But as you know, if you're familiar with this Bible story, the true story of the world, things get a little complicated, and people get caught up in the crossfires of a spiritual rebellion. And Satan, this deceiver, who's against God, comes and disrupts God's plan, or tries to disrupt God's plan, and co-ops this image-bearing people, Adam and Eve, deceives them. And it looks for a little while in the biblical story like God's plan to fill the world with his image bearers is just disrupted and derailed. Well, but what happens? God is persistent. (laughs) Time passes and God calls this guy named Abraham, just a nobody from nowhere. He tells him, go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and I will curse anyone who threatens uh, you with contempt and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. God calls Abraham out of his nothingness and what he actually calls Abraham to do is a lot like what he called Adam and Eve to do. He calls them out, sends them out, sends them out with a purpose. He blesses as he sends Abraham out. And he says, and you're going to be a blessing in the world. You're going to be like like doing what I do in the world. Just the same way I do it, you're going to be like outposts of my presence in all of creation because God is persistent and he set out to do something in creation and he's just going to keep doing it until it happens. But if you know the story... If you know the story, you know that as Abraham's uh, clan, his tribe, Israel grows, um, they're calling to be faithful image bearers. It, It doesn't go so well. It doesn't go so well. For all the grace that God had shown them, for all the blessing that God put upon them, they just can't seem to sort it out. There's too much disorder in them to actually follow through with this mission. 
And it's in that context of God's calling and the disorder of people, like God's, God's enabling and equipping his purpose uh, for, for, for man uh, in the world, man, women, all people, right? I really mean that. Um, it's in that context that Jesus comes onto the scene. He shows up, and his aim is to complete the work, the purpose that God set out to do, to call out a people who are taking God's image-bearing calling seriously, being filled with his spirit, being like him in the world, blessing the world through this people, right? Uh, In 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10, like this calling for the church, for those who are in Jesus is described. It says this, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you weren't a people, now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. What God is doing is he's being persistent in his purpose. He's gathering people together so that they could bear his image and go out into the world and proclaim his praises and bless the world. And through those people, through the work in them, God is going to be glorified. Like Adam and Eve were sent out into a hostile world and like Abraham and Israel were called and given God's mandate to go be his people, now we who are in Jesus are called out from non-being, from not being a people, from being just kind of like wandered, disordered people, those who are outside of God's kingdom, we are now welcomed into God's plan. We have a purpose and a calling in the middle of it. And we have a role to play in the middle of that plan to be a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Priests are people who are mediating the presence of the God they serve. We're going out there, we're introducing people to God. We're saying, hey, look, I'm trying to live this life consecrated, set apart, living full of the spirit of this God. And we're going out and doing that in our workplaces and in our homes and everywhere we go. We're like priests called to be displaying the image of God. In the middle of a broken world, a world of disorder, we're called to be people who are rightly ordered, rightly ordered according to this purpose that we have in Christ. See, if I understand well what my life is for, if I understand that, then I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. Not just like mental understanding, but like a deep understanding I'm going to pray because I'm going to understand the mission that I'm on. I'm going to understand what's important in my life, what my true calling is, what's actually going to make for my deepest, truest satisfaction. I'm going to understand what my life is about. And if I don't know this, then a prayer life is like somebody dumping a puppy on my lap and me being resentful for it, which would be tragic because puppies are so great. Because I don't have room in my life for yet another thing. That's what I think a lot of us feel like about our prayer life. It's like, God, I have so many important things to do, things that I have to do, and you want me to spend time with you? Time is the only thing I don't have. I'll give you my money, please. I got, that's okay. Like, I can spare some. But I cannot do time with you because I think my life is about something it's not about. But if I know actually that my life is about something more, more than, not, not 
unrelated to, but more than my job or my family or my pleasures, my hobbies, or even my church or even my money. Rather that all those things that make up my life, right, kind of are the, the, the moving parts of my life, good natural parts, good parts of my life, if I actually understand that those things, uh, what they are, and they find their proper order in my understanding of what my life is, then there's suddenly room for prayer. There's suddenly room for prayer because if I understand what I'm for and I understand what God calls me to and I understand not only like the mission that he's on and how I'm a part of it, but I understand that I have a real calling and it is satisfying to me. Like, of course, I'm going to make room for prayer, right? You know, uh, this is not to condemn any dog owners, but there's a lot of ways to have a dog, right? I could have a dog um, and I might just look at this dog and say, okay, well, this dog really needs to be fed and walked twice a day. So I'm going to make 10 minutes at 10 o'clock, and I'm going to make 10 minutes for my dog at 6 o'clock. You could, that dog would stay alive, probably. Probably. Not going to be very happy, right? That living thing needs more than just the minimum thing to sustain it, right? But a great way to be a dog owner, and not all of us can do this, and again, so no condemnation for you dog owners, is take your dog with you everywhere you go. It's a great way to be a dog owner, right? I, Mark, I see Mark's little mess. Mark, we all know Bullet. Everybody knows Bullet. Bullet's a great dog, right? He's, he's a very regular presence. Sometimes he comes in the church. And we say, nice to see you, Bullet. Sorry. <laughs> right, but maybe not everywhere. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mark. I'm just having fun with you. I love you, buddy. Um, right? Like, like, you know, there's a lot of ways to be a dog owner. Like, I could just have my dog with me all the time. And if I have my dog with me all the time, it's going to get plenty of exercise. It's going to go to the bathroom as often as it needs to. And when I eat, it's going to eat. Like, if, if I just understand that I've received something from God, a life with him, then, then I just understand, like, that life with God is actually not in opposition to my life. It's the same thing now. Like, I don't have a, a burden of a dog that I have to take care of, and it's like playing against my life. It's the same thing. Dallas Willard says, habit will be confirmed in the gracious interaction, and our whole lives will be bathed in the presence of God. Constant prayer will only burden us as wings burden a bird in flight. Like, you know, like, like prayer is going to be a burden to me if I think I just got to find room. I got to find 20 minutes a day to do it. And it's like, oh, why do I even have this thing in my life? But if I start to understand that as I pray and as I make my prayer life just a part of my life, like so that I can walk to the store and I can be just talking with God about me walking to the store because somehow God has decided that I can be in the store shopping and still be a priest, chosen, called like his image bearer in the middle of the world. That's crazy. Like, I don't think of my life that way very often, but I'm going to tell you if I was walking in the store praying and talking to God, I would start to think that grocery shopping was awesome because the presence of God is in the middle of it. I don't, but I could, and I should. That, we, we do Amazon Fresh, y'all. We don't, we don't do that. <laughs> um, you know what I'm saying? Like, what a transformative thing to see my prayer life just as part of my life and actually like an intimate part where it's actually bringing me satisfaction and not just something I have to do on a list of things, a long list of things, most of which I don't get to. We tend to think of prayer just as something we do along with all the other things. 
And that needs to change. But prayer is something that we will do quite naturally if we begin to understand what our lives are really for. Worship team's going to come up as we close out here, but God's vision for people in prayer is that we would have inner lives rightly ordered, understanding priorities, purpose, like there's going to be order when I do that, so that we would be realizing our purpose in God's plan. Look at Look how Jesus taught his disciples to pray, right? They came to him one day. They said, could you teach us to pray? And he said, do this. You should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name to be honored as holy. This is a little different translation than you used to, right? I like to switch it up every now and then. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus teaches his disciples to pray a simple prayer, but I think in the middle of the simplicity, we can sometimes lose sight of what's really going on. Jesus is teaching his disciples to see God's plan, that as they pray, they would just like see God for who he is, see his plan and his purpose for the world and for themselves. And then, and this is important, See themselves in it. Understand that they aren't incidental to the plan. They're a part of the plan because God's plan is to put his presence in people and to send out image bearers who are just praising him, doing the work of glorifying him through their lives. Prayer helps us to see our part in God's plan. Prayer helps us to see our part in God's plan, right? Because Jesus, he he begins calling out to God. He says, our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Agreeing with the purpose uh, that God has, agreeing with who he is and the purpose he says. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's doing something. He's bringing his kingdom down and he's using people as a part of that. Bringing all of creation into right order so that it knows him, establishing his kingdom. The people everywhere would look to him and see him as he is. But of course, how is he doing that? Through people. Which is why you have this connection of my needs. Like how, how many of us are like, 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 I think probably like 50-50, right? Some of us like want to talk to God, but oh, I, I don't have any needs, Lord. I'm sort of on that boat sometimes, right? Like, oh, God, it's fine. I'll just suffer through. I know you have a plan, so I'm just going to, like, my prayer life is just going to be about me telling you how great you are, and I'm really suffering on the inside, and I'm disordered, and I'm unhappy, but I'm I'm fine. But God's, like, just as much as we're, we're seeing God's plan and purpose in prayer, like, we're also understanding how we fit into it. Give us this day our daily bread. God cares about your needs. He cares about the actual things uh, that, that are important to you. Help us to forgive. Help us to forgive, just like we've been forgiven. Help us to partake in this plan that you have in Jesus, right? You've forgiven us so that we can be the sorts of people who are going around setting people free of their burdens because Jesus has already paid the price, and we can go like like priests, right? Some people have negative connotations with the word priests. I'm sorry, it's a very biblical word, right? Like priests just saying, hey, look. Somebody's paid all the price. There can be forgiveness. I'm going to forgive you when, when you hurt my feelings or you do things to me because that's what God does. I'm just bearing his image. He's the God who forgives. And so I'm going to go out, forgive. And he protects. 
Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. You see, God's plan is, yeah, it's for the whole world. It's a huge plan, but he sees you in it. And so that's why you pray, not just you, you say some prayer. I don't know, think some things about God. You pray because you have a life with God now. Prayer helps us to see our part in God's plan. And the spiritual life is not a boring life. Spiritual life is a dynamic, great life where our needs are considered and our true self is found and we're found like just serving Jesus. That's where we're deeply satisfied. That's where we're found as we truly are. Forgiven people, accepted people, loved people who are then going out into the world, partaking in God's mission. The spiritual life is not boring. I'll just leave you with this one little passage from Philippians 2. For it is God who's working in you making you a disciple, right? That's my working in you, both to will and to work according to his good purpose. God's got a good purpose. And as we pray, he's doing the work of ordering our lives. Our inner life is being changed so that we can will what he wants, the good things, the, the way that he wants to bless the world. He's going to teach us to want that too. And then he's going to teach us the work side. What does it look like? I've got a clean inside, so how do I have a clean outside? How do I be a person who's serving and blessing and a part of this mission? God is doing the work. We just come right along with what he's already doing, and we say yes to it. That's what discipleship is, and that's what we do in prayer. So it's exciting stuff. Come back next week if you want to get really practical. I'll, we'll talk about how do we... Um, actually develop a calendarized, you know, in the real world, world sort of prayer life that's meaningful, okay? So Lord, thank you. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, it's like a dynamic thing we have with you. Like we're not just as we are and stuck and if we don't like ourselves tough, Lord, you are raising us up in a Christ-likeness, calling us to be filled with your presence, Lord. Lord, you've already done the work. Lord, do it even more. Fill us with your spirit, we pray. Lord, teach us to be people who will and work according to your good pleasure. Teach us to be people of prayer. Amen.